My name is Dan Gilmore. Thank you for coming. And I uh, and this is the second of uh, a series of talks and I hope conversation with you all about the how how development of citizen media and citizen journalism in particular is coming along. And in the end, it's it's also about a theory that I have that people who get involved in current events and in collaborating with each other might be uh, more likely to be like better citizens in the end, which it's a theory, and I hope we can research it someday. Uh, last month, what I talked about was um, kind of the general landscape in how this was coming along. This one is about, uh, for lack of a better expression, consuming news. More about the, the vast majority of people who are really not going to get involved in creating the news and, and being citizen journalists or anything like that. But the majority of people who like have lives and limited time and they want better than they're getting. And there may be some ways to do that. Uh, and how things are developing to help them get a better report than they've been getting and how they can do it for themselves. The next one uh, in April will be more about people putting hands on once they're beyond simply being better consumers of news, how they can uh, take that to the next level. And I, I'm particularly passionate about that, but I think we have to recognize and really deal with the fact that for most people, this is about getting something better than they're getting today and how important that is. So I'm going to go through a bunch of uh, slides and just some ideas, I hope, and as quickly as I can hear from you and get your questions and comments and, and uh rants and raves and telling me I hope where I'm wrong and uh, uh, not uh, and, and where I've missed nuance and other things. So baseline, uh, for those of you who heard the last one, you'll, you'll have heard the first few of these before, but I'm gonna, I want to give a baseline of where we are. That the media are being democratized in a fundamental way, which in this context uh, means that the tools of production are open to lots and lots of us now. In effect, anyone who wants to do it, that the tools are, are more powerful than ever and less expensive than ever. And in this computer is a pretty nifty video editing system that just came with the computer and a good audio editing system that just came with the computer and, of course, We've done text and pictures for a long time. The other, another democratization has been, of course, the uh, distribution. With the web, we can put stuff out there and at a fairly low cost, and anyone can get it. And that's another baseline and pretty important one. And then finally, the, for this talk, the most important democratization is that lots of people can get access to it. I'm worried uh, about this access problem because of the way the telecom industry is going, but that's a separate issue, and let's hope we get past that one. And it's about a read-write web where we can write on the web almost as easily as read from it. 
And it's not blogs, it's lots and lots of different things. Uh, one of the moments when I realized that something very cool was happening uh, was in 2000, I was teaching in Hong Kong uh, for a month at the University of Hong Kong. And it was a Wednesday morning there. It was like a Tuesday night in the US. And it was a Tuesday night election night. And as you recall, there was a kind of weird election going on. And I'm a political junkie. I wanted to know what was happening. And there was no broadcast uh, that I could tune into from my office at the University of Hong Kong. There was no uh, obvious way to get everything I wanted, except then I realized, wait a minute, there's the web. And I uh, saved a screenshot because I thought I might need it someday, and it turned out I did. Uh, that thing up at the top left is a picture of a real audio stream of national public radio that I was listening to live coming across. And then I would basically surf around from one website to another, CNN and the New York Times and the, uh, my former paper, the San Jose Mercury for California election results, and I'd go in deeper on stories that were interesting. And all of a sudden, I realized, my God, I'm getting a better news report about this election than anybody who's watching television inside the United States. That was amazing. And, I, and then I also realized, of course, that if this had occurred to me, it would occur to a lot of other people, and that something fundamental had changed in the consuming of news, and that it was a fundamentally good thing that had changed. So fast forward a few years, we've come to a time where I really believe that the, the daily me that uh, people have talked about in various forms, um, MIT has got some work that they've been doing for years on this. And, and uh, people, the idea that we can sort of get what we want and create our own newspaper, daily newspaper. And I'm, there are many forms of this. One of them is uh, an aggregator of uh, basically feeds from various websites. And this is the one I happen to use. I just put a thing together. I, for tonight, and uh, so you can collect a bunch of different websites. How many in this room use aggregators for doing what they're doing? So quite a lot of people. Um, it's, a, it's an efficient way of collecting many different uh, locations and sites and uh, news feeds from around the world and putting them in one simple format. It's almost like a, an email reader except better. And I'm happy where we've gotten with the daily me, though that needs work. Uh, one, re one thing is, is that any particular site you go to gets the same kind of dis display as any other. It's not like you can distinguish very well, but it, it's, it's a great start. And the aggregators and big companies like Yahoo are doing things to give you more about what you want in your own place. And how many are using my Yahoo? Anybody? A couple. I'm, I kind of like my Yahoo. Uh, it, 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 it's fairly customizable. It's not perfect, but it's, it's pretty interesting. But again, collecting news the way we want. 
Of course, what that does is devalue the brand of the news organization uh, that you aggregate in there. So that's, a, that's an issue for professional journalists. It's not an issue for us consumers. It's like, you know, it's good for us as consumers because we can do it our way. It, it's a problem, uh, one to consider for the professionals because the brand is starting to give way to the, um, to the byline and to the search. And, and the, there's a very substantial question to be thought about there. I was uh, last year in, in Seoul, the World Newspaper Association, um, had their annual meeting, and I was, along with the uh, guy who started Google News, uh, he and I were the keynoters, and they thought my ideas about citizen journalism were weird enough, but when he got up and talked about how Google was good for them, they, they weren't impressed. Um, and in fact, they're, going, they're getting very angry at Google at the World Association of Newspapers in a way that I think is fundamentally stupid because Google sends them more than it takes away. But uh, it's, it's, it's a reaction that's at least understandable. And uh, who's read the wonderful book by Jamie Sirichi called With the Wisdom of Crowds? Anybody? Uh, I recommend it highly. It's, the notion is, and it, it's part of what I think about journalism, is that in some sense the community knows more and in the end is fairly wise. Uh, that, that's oversimplifying what he's talking about and, and what I'm talking about, but it's a, it, there's basically a lot of truth in it. What we're seeing in this new world is people collaborating to create things and that we get better results from that. Uh, people are collecting things from varying sources. This is uh, a site called the Command Post where people just send things in and then they create a kind of a newsroom of their own. Now people are uploading videos and audios and photos, etc. Uh, Flickr is a wonderful website and you can go there for entertainment mostly, but there's often actual news to show there. This is a, a place that's asking people to send in what they do and you can get a sense of at least some current events. And then the group, the group blog is another kind of way of finding, uh, this is a, called the SFS that's a, in San Francisco. It's, it's not the Chronicle, but it does chronicle what goes on in the city in a fairly uh, coherent way, and you have good people working on it. And then YouTube, have any of you been using YouTube? I love this place. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of weird, but it's, it, you, you find fairly amazing things. And then Wikipedia, which is, again, the, the collaborative thing that's going on, I, which I, full of flaws, but also full of wisdom and value. Uh, and another kind of thing where people are annotating websites, this is a brand new operation called Placial, where they invite you to put a pin in the map and then write something about it and put a photo there if you want. I'm, uh, next month when I talk about citizens doing journals, and I'll talk more about what this means, but uh, one of the things I want the citizens to do with the help of media organizations is to 
use maps in this way to help tell the stories of their communities. And one story I want every community to tell uh, is where all the potholes are. <laughs> I'm thinking about this as journalism. I really am. Where the, the newspaper, it's, it, this is so brain-dead obvious to me. I don't know why they aren't all doing it now. Put up a map like this. Tell the folks in the community. Take a picture of the pothole. Put it up there with a pin in the map on the street where it's at. And then we'll collect it. We'll, we'll wait and see how long it takes the city to fix it. And we'll tell you. Uh, I, I think that has value. <laughs> People are using these to talk and argue. Uh, Slashdot is famous in the tech world. Uh, for endless conversations about esoteric things if you're not into tech. But there are pearls of wisdom in there. We'll talk in a minute about how we find some of these pearls of wisdom, which is not always simple. And then local uh, sites where they're just finding out stuff and giving us reports uh, that the... the uh, so-called big media in their communities won't do. This is in Brattleboro, Vermont. This site, uh, I, I check in fairly frequently on this site and the Brattleboro Reformer, which is owned, the, the daily paper, which is owned by one of the uh, greedier companies, uh, or at least whose investors are greedier. And I often find that the homespun site is beating the local paper on important news. Uh, beating it on everything, I don't know, because I don't read them both all the time. But I'd like to see someone study that. I think this is going to be a good test case. And then, again, people telling each other about what's going on right in their neighborhood. This is in the northwest quadrant of Bakersfield, California. Uh, an, an experiment of real value. And, again, some of these are going to be more about what we do next time. But I wanted to show you what if with a little bit of effort any one of us can find about where we are and what uh, the news is no longer limited to that manufactured product that gets dropped on the doorstep if you're one of the minority of people who subscribes to it. Or that show that comes on at 5 o'clock at night if you're one of the, uh, I'm afraid, larger uh, group of people who thinks that's the news. I, it's not. And then community in the sort of abstract way, but uh, this is from Craigslist. It's, it's called the Rants and Raves section. Uh, and you, you have to click through a thing that says, I understand there's going to be really weird shit here. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not offended by that before you can actually get to it. So... Uh, and trust me, it's really weird sometimes, especially the San Francisco state. <laughs> so um, that's alphabet soup. Uh, and I'm going to bother you with some alphabet soup during this, uh, but not too much, I hope. But I, there are some fundamental technologies that are helping create this daily uh, me, we, us, whatever it's coming. Uh, and... That, that are just crucial to know about. Uh, you don't have to take notes because if stuff's getting built into things now, we'll, we'll all be able to just use it.
But RSS is a format, a file format that, uh, if you remember that, that aggregator on when I call it the daily me, the, uh, the many websites, the way they were sort of sucked into that application was through a thing called RSS, which is a uh, file format that uh, basically says, here's various items, like here's the headline. Or first of all, here's the website for where it's from. Here's the, and then here's the headline from the posting, which might be from a blog or it might be from the BBC. And, and then here's the content or some of the content from that posting, and then maybe other attributes of it, like the date and whether it's been updated, and things like that. And there are different kinds of RSS. There, um, in technology, one thing you can count on is that when someone creates a standard, people will go to war over that standard and fight about how it's going to proceed. So uh, there's, there's lots of fights in the RSS community, and I won't bore you with them, but they, it eventually settles out. But it's an amazingly efficient thing, and that's so important because you can scoop all kinds of good, uh, useful information into one place. Now, Apple was the first really big technology company to uh, buy into this idea of RSS so that every Mac that ships has in the browser, the Safari browser, uh, RSS is just there. And if, it, if you're on a page that has an RSS uh, feed, they're called news feeds, like a, a syndication thing, uh, if you come to a page that has an RSS uh, file attached to it or next to it, Safari knows that and it'll say, and there will be a little thing you can click that will add it to a list of RSS, and then you can just find it on your RSS in the browser. It's, a, it's very efficient. It's also an amazingly adaptable format um, because it's just text in a, in a file telling some application how to parse it and to pull it together. So I have an RSS reader for this phone. And it's pretty nifty for getting headlines and short summaries of things. And the, the RSS reader I have for this will only give you a few lines of whatever the, the thing is. So it's, a, it's nice for headlines, really. Um, my former employer, the, uh, Knight Ritter, which was uh, the, uh, which will be the former Knight Ritter soon, um, is, was the, it was announced yesterday it was being sold. Uh, one of the, this, this drives me crazy when I think about media companies not getting it and not wanting, not using what they have. There's a domain called headlines.com. Pretty good domain to have, right? Well, Knight Ritter has owned it for the last umpteen years and they've never used it. I kept begging them to sell it to me. I'm, I'm not that smart, but even I know what to do with that. Right there. It would have been perfect. Okay, more soup. Uh, this is another uh, file format called OPML. And now, of course, this makes complete sense to you, this picture of text. But it's really just another... Uh, way of describing stuff and if you have a bunch of RSS 
web feeds or, or news feeds or whatever we want to call them coming into some application and you save that list in many uh, in, in, in some other kinds of applications it'll save it into a file format called OPML and I can't remember what that stands for Colin, do you know? <laughs> Does anyone know what OPML stands for? I, I do, but I'm spacing out. Outline processor markup language. It's outline processor markup language. Thank you. Outline processor markup language. Um, there will be an OPML camp here on May 20th and 21st. <laughs> Are we? I'll have to come. Um, OPML camp. The concept is boggling. There's barbecues and hot tubs. Whoa. Talk about talk about a geek fest. Whoa! Uh, so, <laughs> Colin's going to walk out in the middle. He's not not because I just offended him. He has to leave early. Uh, just I'm preparing you for that. So, the the thing about OPML is there are many ways people are using it, but one of the coolest ways is to think of it as kind of a reading list. So we can share our reading lists. And uh, actually, let me see if I can. Yeah, I um, here's Net Newswire. And this, um, that folder I've just selected with all the stuff below it, I pulled it off of a site called Technorati, which uh, indexes weblogs. That's all they do, uh, all 20-some million of them, or whatever the number is. And they then do, they collect uh, top blogs in certain areas, one of which was media, and you can download an OPML file of those sites. And then, this is Net Newswire, the, uh, the application I used for, that I showed you earlier for reading lots of stuff. And can just suck it right into there without just a quick import of the file. That's very efficient and very interesting because we can now start collaborating on what we're reading together. And a lot of what we talk about in the web world of this daily us is about recommendations. And this is a good first approximation of a recommendation system that you know, full of flaws and, and, and will waste a lot of your time, but is still very good for a start. And one thing that is important about the web and in this world is that uh, unlike the old days of media, when I, when I worked at the newspaper, uh, the smallest change was an elaborate process where you'd like, you know, think about it for a year talk about it for another two, and then design this, design that, and then you'd launch it, and nobody would notice, unless you took away a comic. <laughs> and then you'd get 100 letters. But on the web, you just do it. And people will yell at you, they'll praise you, they'll say, you need to fix that. And what you do is you fix that. And you just iterate. The web is all about iteration. And, and in a sense, this is about iteration. This is about finding things and saving the good ones, tossing the bad ones. And over time, we collect the things we like, and we have a fairly coherent report that we've created for ourselves. 
Someone told me that it took the New York Times, I, I don't remember where I heard this, the New York Times apparently took nine years to institute a chess column. You used to work there. It was before never you heard, were at the Times. Never heard that. Uh, um, you know, nine years. I believe it, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the last alphabet soup is APIs, which is, uh, APIs means... It's at called, that stands for Application Programming Interface. And what it means basically is if you have uh, a service or a database or something like that, and you want people to be able to pull things out or use the thing you're doing for other kinds of things that you don't do, but where you still control the data yourself and it's, it's just available for others. You, and, and or you want to, an API would be also something that says, uh, if it, in an operating system, uh, if you use this API then uh, to tell a printer to print, then you don't have to write your own print driver for every application. They all understand the API. So it's, a, it's like, uh, you know, the, the, the wall plug is an API in a sense. It just, you plug something in and, and that works. So the APIs on the web are getting cool because people are starting to mix together data and applications in ways that the creators of these things did not anticipate or, or would not have expected. And Google has been one of the leaders in this with their map. So you can take the Google map, you can plug into uh, your, your, your own other data into it or theirs or whatever. And this is one I love to show people, which is the chicagocrime.org uh, map, which is uh, an incredibly powerful thing. You can go down to the very local level to get, or any, any level of the community in any neighborhood by very, you know, you can sort by kind of crime. One thing that he's done here, uh, named, his name is Adrian Holovat. He works for the Washington Post, which should tell you that the Post has a clue. Uh, he's, he did one thing with it that was amazing. He, Lots of people take public transportation in Chicago. And typically, if you do that, you walk from where you live to the station and then, or to the bus stop, and then you walk somewhere else. He actually lets you trace the route that you walk and then see what goes on along that route. Which, you know, it's, it's relevant if there's this just flood of muggings along that route or something like that. It's an interesting approach to doing it. And he's done it. This is just an example of what APIs can be made to do. Um, we're not going to spend too much time on this one, but it's, it's, we could spend the whole night on it. And in this world of get your own news, we, uh, we're going to have to work harder on knowing what's true and what's not. And I'll come back to that. We also have to figure out how to sort through this mass of information because there's so much of it and it's hard. This is Technorati, the thing I was telling you about. This is a site called Memorandum, which is uh, sorting news uh, right now about politics and technology in a way that uh, where he's, he's looking at what bloggers are pointing to for major stories and then collecting their comments about those stories so that you get a, a kind of a mixing of the commentary and the story that people were interested in. So 
Where do we, how do we get to the daily we? This is what I want to spend a little time on. There are early signs that people are beginning to figure it out. It's still pretty hard, and, and it's, it's a tough problem. It's not going to be an easy one to solve. But this is a brand new site called Newsvine uh, that involves people finding stories, pointing to them, and then there's some uh, selection and voting by the members of this community to elevate things or drop them down depending on popularity. Uh, the same approach or a similar approach at a site called Dig, which is focused on tech. Uh, and I'm, I'm not sure what I think about all these because I don't think popularity is sufficient. I think it's helpful. It's just not enough because one thing that happens is if, if it just happens to be interesting to people or appeal to them, uh, they'll put it up to the top. And one, something that's happened on Dig a couple of times is that uh, things that people have found and pointed to that have been just dead wrong ended up at the top of Dig. And, and in one case, it was dead wrong attacking someone's uh, integrity, a human being who was known in the tech industry, and he was just wrong. Now, how do we get to... How do we not have that happen? I don't think we can prevent it. How do we, in the end, chase down the problem information with good information? That's hard, too. I, uh, in, a, a, in the next, one, next time I'm going to talk about, uh, next month I'm going to talk partly about systems that we should be putting in place to help people know when a correction has been made. That's something we can do on the web a lot more easily than we can do in traditional media. And hardly anyone's doing it. And uh, as far as I can tell, hardly anyone's even trying. Uh, community ratings at some point are interesting. Slashdot, if, you're, if, you, if you've signed up and you uh, participate to a certain level, they'll, they'll ask you to be a moderator. And moderation at, sl at, at Slashdot, they, they have these endless threads of comments. Uh, moderation means you, you give it a score. And uh, what I do is in my, I, I'm, my, my threshold on Slashdot for my, my normal threshold is at number two. It goes from minus one to plus five. And at plus five, you'll get a very few of the comments if you set the threshold there. And they are supposed to be the real, the best comments. Often what happens is that they're the funniest because five uh, really funny comments always get moderated up to five. And sometimes the really great, and the really great ones do too, the informative ones, but it, they're working on fixing some of the uh, vagaries of the system. But it's a pretty interesting way to start to help us get what we want out of a site. We can't where, I, I don't know anyone who reads all of the um, comments on a typical slash dot thread at, at, you know, at number zero. Uh, I mean, I haven't got enough time in my life for that. And there's not much that's worth reading once you get down below about three or two. Uh, Actually, it's fun you, to read the minus ones because they're really bad. There's, there's a 
try it sometime. You'll, it, it, it's entertaining. So that's, that's one approach that people are doing, and it's not bad. And one of the things that people are always wondering about in this new world is what about serendipity? And what I'm talking about with serendipity is in the analog world, the, the uh, physical world, the, 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 the newspaper with that story on the bottom left or the bottom right, kind of a, usually a feature type story. And it's, it's about something I didn't know I cared about until I read it. And something that helped me understand the world a little better or just that amused me or just, but that was, huh, that kind of thing. And that took some editor and depending on the story itself, you know, an editor with a sufficiently warped sense of the absurd or just, just who really understood that this was a place to put that kind of thing. Um, well, people worry we're going to lose serendipity in this new world because we'll select everything ourselves that we'll, uh, we'll only be getting what we want. Well, there's an easy way to fix that, and that, of course, is to <clears throat> read places that are nothing but serendipity. <laughs> and this is my favorite serendipity, which is Boing Boing. Uh, how many read Boing Boing? A fair number? Good. I mean, these folks are uh, I was going to say warped, but they're friends. So I I, I just I go here and I see stuff constantly that I didn't know I cared about. Well, and typically I don't, but it, but but that's at least that's at least interesting. So so back to what we have. So we have this this ease of publishing and and all of these ways of discovering things and and lots of you know, micro-format content and, and RSS and OPML and all that. And, and f assume that we're going to have for the future uh, more powerful stuff that's less expensive, easier to use. And that the development of these services will go on at a wild rate and we'll just have more and more cool things to do. So... The things that I'm still waiting for to be much better, uh, and they're glimmerings, but they're still way out there, I think, are better tools for conversation. For example, I would love to be able to track the thread, such as it is, of a conversation across websites and the comments within, underneath the, the items on the website, if there was some way to do that. And I don't know if it's possible. Uh, I, I really don't. This may take skill that is just non-existent. But I want to be able to do more with, with that and more with uh, the, the search is still, you know, there's lots of room to improve in search. And search is what we all basically use to find a lot of things. So there's plenty of room for improvement. And within the conversation, the ideas of... Uh, tracking the participation, uh, not from an invading privacy standpoint, but helping us see who's, who's doing what and where and to get a sense of how that thread, that flow is going 
we can learn a lot and do a lot with each other if we if we do that. Um, and one thing that's that's missing from the from all of this that is kind of there in the weblog world by definition. And if popularity is insufficient, what can we add to that that will help us? Well, reputation is going to be <clears throat> the key next addition to this uh, collection of, of the daily we. If I can get things that are uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in popularity. I, I do want to know what people are reading or what they think is interesting. But I also want to know what people I respect think is interesting or the, or the organizations that I respect. And I want to combine these things. I, I don't know how right now. But I want to combine reputation with... Uh, with these discovery systems and these voting systems in all sorts of ways to ultimately come up with the true uh, daily us that, that combines what we all know and what we all uh, have come to trust. Because a lot of this in the end is about trust. How do we find things that are reliable? How do we find things that in the end we can uh, have some belief that they're true or that they're well reported or both and that in that we can then make better decisions because in you know ultimately this is about journalism being you know the cliche of the informed citizenry it's, it's it, cliches are that way often because they're true and I'm passionate that we have to have a better informed citizenry and that this is one way to get there. And in a world where media organizations are uh, consolidating at a frightening rate, where the news is being dumbed down at an equally frightening rate at, at the big organizations, I, I think it's going to be up to us at some level to come up with ways to highlight the things that are not shallow, the things that are deep enough to help us understand the world better, and to show them, to elevate them into a place where other people can find them because people they trust have helped them. And this is a, a great, great question for technologists and social scientists and journalists and all of us because it's going to take everyone working on it, I think, for it to happen. Uh, I wanted to uh, make a quick pitch for some things I'm working on, and if there's anyone here who wants to help out, I'm going to be uh, uh, glad for your help. Um, I'm just getting going on the Center for Citizen Media in many ways, but I, I think we need to do some basic... Uh, baseline kinds of things to start. And one of them is to find out who in the big media world, the traditional journalism world, uh, is using the tools of citizen media to do more than have their staff members write weblogs or do podcasts, which I think is wonderful that they're doing. And a lot of them are doing it now. I mean, blogging is now big in, in the traditional media. 
Even the New York Times finally admitted that it does weblogs. They've been doing them for several years. They just refused to call it that. <laughs> then they finally said, okay, it's a blog. Uh, you know, podcasts, I, hell, even the Pentagon does podcasts now. So we're, what I'm interested in this particular thing is to say, okay, what, and I, I'll, let me tell you why I'm interested. I think that big traditional media are the best position of almost anybody to bring citizens into this process in a much more powerful way than they've, even, than they've ever tried. I think it's not only something they can do, it may be survival for them to do it. It may be the one way they can keep going in a world where they're being undermined by other kinds of businesses and by their own uh, shareholder greed. There's a fundamentally good opportunity for the media organization. So anyway, I want to find out who's doing it. There's a place uh, in North Carolina, the Greensboro News and Record, uh, where the editor of the paper, John Robinson, said, I want this paper to be the public square for the community. And will he get the resources to do it? I don't know. I hope he does. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic idea. The idea that you convene the community conversation, that vital conversation that every community needs to have about itself and with itself. That is a what, what a wonderful thing for a newspaper to do that. And it doesn't happen with the newspaper. The t- local TV station could do it just as well. Uh, in Nashville, I don't remember the call letters of the station, but they're starting to do it. WKRN, it may be. Uh, they're helping bloggers. They're doing their own very cool stuff. Giving citizens training. Giving people training and doing video. Um, Lots of little things going on around the country. That Northwest Voice site that I showed you was created by the Bakersfield Californian, the daily paper. They just carved out the Northwest quadrant of their city and said, let's give people some tools and see what happens. And then there's a next step that a media organization can do, which I will talk about uh, in another talk. But I want to just point it out here, and this is, I think, uh, a wonderful idea and I want to find out if anyone else is doing it but the BBC has a thing called Action Network where they're putting up tools online for people to create campaigns uh, literally campaigns for changing things or maybe campaigns to keep them the same whichever but uh, they, they help people contact each other they give them tools research tools then they help them with organizing tools. And then the BBC watches what people do and covers the active campaign. So they're not telling people what to do. They're not even po- they're not pointing them in any direction. They're just saying, here's the tools, we'll help you do it, and then we'll watch and we'll and we'll cover the stuff that's in, that that where people are really being active. It's it's still the jury's out on whether the experiment's going to work in a big way, but they've had a couple of interesting results, one of which was the campaign to take away public funding from the BBC. <laughs> and folks there thought that was kind of proof of concept. 
At the same time that I want to see what big, or at least traditional media, are doing. And big media, in my world, means in a tiny town, it means the weekly newspaper. That's big media. So it's a relative concept. But I'm thinking of it typically geographically. And so whatever they're doing is cool, but I also want to know what's coming up from the bottom, from the, from the edges is really a better word. And that's harder to collect and to figure out because I don't know quite how to define it in many cases. Is somebody writing a blog about the community doing citizen journalism? Absolutely. But is it journalism when it's just someone ranting about people they don't like in the community? Well, no. I, we have to come up with better definitions. Maybe we just have to put it all up there and see what people decided is. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to be looking for help in the first, just a first couple of projects to figure out what's going on and to highlight the cool stuff and to uh, help maybe cross-fertilize between the media folks and the uh, grassroots or edge-in folks, however we want to describe it, and to see what kind of, uh, what kind of collaboration could occur that way. There may be some very interest, interesting things. All I do know is that I haven't seen any good uh, research into what the the largest media organizations are doing. Jay Rosen, who's a professor at NYU, and some students there did a terrific survey of the top 100 newspapers by circulation and whether they, whether they were blogging and how much. And they did this. It's, it's an excellent report, and it's a, it's a nice thing that they've done it. I, I just want to do something different with that. And there's going to be plenty of research opportunities. And I'm going to do other projects over time. And uh, so that's my pitch, and that's how to find me or get in touch. Uh, that number at the bottom is the Berkman Center across the street here, uh, or the alley, and uh, where I'm a, uh, a fellow this year and also working with the, <clears throat> the journalism program at uh, the University of California at Berkeley. So I'm kind of bi-coastal, uh, but I'm, I'm here every month and would love to hear what anyone wants to do and wants to help with. Uh, while I get a glass of water, think about questions. And uh, Colin, do you want to? This is being webcast or recorded. And uh, so if you're going to, when you, when you have a question or comment, please give the, uh, get the mic from Colin. Um, John, my name is Eric Eldon, and I'm I just graduated from Stanford, and I'm working on a citizen journalism, student media sort of thing in a way. Um, I'm just curious, have you noticed um, any sort of relationship with the size of the audience of a major, or any sort of media organization, and how effectively citizen journalism sort of latches on? Um, you know, in North Carolina, there's, you know, some amount, that project seems to be going pretty well, but is that... Have you noticed that at smaller weekly papers and smaller communities, is it easier for people to say, okay, now let's, you know, let's sort of grab on and start contributing to this website versus someplace like the New York Times? I, I don't know. It's one thing that we'll need to be looking into. I don't know the answer, but I would, I would guess that a community where you actually know your neighbors 
uh, and people who live maybe a few blocks from you that uh, I, I would imagine there's both a better opportunity to do some of this, but also possibly a lost opportunity in uh, people worrying about their either their status in the community or causing trouble or getting in trouble. But this is important for research. Um, uh, so uh, come and help find out. Hi, I'm Susie Lindsay. I'm at the Berkman Center. Um, in addition to, to monitoring what is happening and, and what people are doing out there, is there a push to create a how-to? And is uh, at journalism schools such as Berkeley, are they interested or do they already have classes in this? Is, it, is there a push? That's, that question was not a setup. <laughs> By amazing coincidence, we're going to be doing some instructional stuff. Um, but we, there isn't a lot of how-to yet. And individuals and individual organizations have taken it on themselves to do some training in, in the citizen media sphere. Uh, there's nothing that's particularly well organized. We're, we're certainly going to do some helping of, for people to, to find out how to do this. Uh, I, I think training is going to occur at many levels, and education being the first thing that's necessary. I want to, let me segue just slightly on education. One thing I think we absolutely need in this world uh, that we're heading into is media literacy education starting at a very young age uh, because there's still a, uh, there's a fairly frightening tendency of people to believe what they read. Uh, no matter what the source. And I think we have a fairly developed sense of media literacy in the traditional media world to some degree, where uh, the example I like to give is, you know when you go to the supermarket and there's that uh, extremely high circulation newspaper sitting next to the checkout stand, extremely popular sells millions of every week. And the headline is about George Bush's latest alien love child. <laughs> you have a fairly good suspicion based on experience and media literacy that that's probably false. Even though it's a highly popular publication, it's a real newspaper in some level. But it's, you know, you, 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 you know. Whereas you go outside, and in the rack is the Wall Street Journal, uh, and, and if you put in a dollar, you, you know that what you're going to read is probably true, except for the editorial page. <laughs> and this is, again, media literacy and experience. So how do we bring that online where any place can be made to look as good as any other? fairly simply, and where actually there, there are nuggets of absolute profound truth amid the noise of discussion boards. Uh, I, you know, there's some discussion boards I go to for, uh, for, the, for the news about this thing. 
because there's no publication that covers it that way. And how do we sort out what's right and what's wrong and what's, what's likely to be right and likely to be wrong and all of these things? Again, reputation is going to be part, but media literacy, and part of that is going to be telling, uh, is helping people understand that they have to be careful and not to make a critical decision based on anything they read, no matter what the source. Uh, and so that's so. Let me back to the, the training. Will will be citizens, and the training will also be crucially news organizations that want to do this because they don't know how, and they're and they're, they're just beginning to, to figure it out. So we hope to do some of that. Yes. Hey Dan, thanks for this this talk. I'm Rob Levitt. Wondering about the uh, the business side of all of this, and if you're starting to look at the business side of citizen journalism. I mean, you know, certainly we've seen in the last few years people be trying to, and to some extent, beginning to make their living as bloggers. You were trying to do this to some extent, uh, or been trying to do this to some extent. Um, more and more advertising we're seeing, you know, as some become much more popular. Um, you know, and you've got these experiments in, from the BBC on down, um, trying to figure out is this a way to boost circulation? You know, how does it relate to the traditional media business, which is obviously struggling in some ways? Are you looking at that side of it? Uh, yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the reference, uh, one, of the, one of the references in there was to the fact that uh, an experiment that, that I tried last year did not prove to be a viable business, or at least not yet. And uh, we're going to be experimenting for a long time. And you know, in, in a world where everything is changing rapidly and people are trying new things all the time, most of them are going to fail. And we'll, we'll find the ones that work and we'll copy those. That's, that's how these go. The issue about mass media, about big journalism and it's really not about the competition from the citizen journalists. That, that's a side issue actually. I'm, journalists are pretty competitive. Pros are pretty competitive people. They, they work hard and they'll do, they'll do better work if they're given the opportunity. The competition that they're worried about and that is one of the reasons that Knight Ritter got sold for a price that hardly is a ringing endorsement of the newspaper industry. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's not a uh, pan on the business, but it's not an endorsement. The competition is from places like the world's largest classified advertising company, otherwise called eBay, and from Craigslist. Uh, disclosure, Craig is a friend. He's helping me. I'm helping him. We're, you know, it, uh, he, he, but Craig goes into a city and suddenly there are fewer classifieds in the newspaper. That's just the way it is. Partly because what he offers is uh, better. Uh, well, it's free and, and for almost everything. So that's 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 hard to compete with. But you know, newspapers. Think about classified ads in newspapers. Just think where you have like two lines to say what you're going to say. I think this is where people learn how to do text messaging with, with these abbreviated words. 
is by writing newspaper classifieds. Yeah. But on Craigslist, yeah, there's no limit. You can make it long. And you can put pictures. It's marvelous. Now, the, the thing is for newspapers, we're, uh, I'll stay with them for a second, but uh, they're up against people trying to get their revenues. They're up against companies that are well-funded, nimble, something newspapers are utterly not. Uh, hungry to try things and experimental. And then the, the really important thing and after all that is that these are companies for which doing journalism would be ridiculous and a distraction from the business they're in. That's hard to compete with, especially when it's free. I mean, not all online classifieds are free. Monster.com charges, uh, others charge, but it, it's all lower cost than the newspaper. So, it's, so this, is, this is really a problem. And TV is having a different problem. You know, we, we have one of the hard disk recorder TiVo-like things. It's not a TiVo. Um, but there's a button on the remote that makes 30 seconds disappear. Well, there goes another business model. Uh, and I'm... You know, I, I'm, I kind of regretted it. That means less journalism, but I'm not going to watch the commercials if I don't have to, unless I kind of want to watch them for some reason. I mean, the woman I live with likes to watch commercials because she's into design and art, and she thinks they're weird. But that's we're not. This is a world that we're. This is just going to change. So, how do we get business models? I got to answer. I, I can't. We're going to develop, and advertising will support a lot of stuff still, because it, it's still a how people need to reach people. Uh, there are many models coming along, uh, including the tip jar. Uh, there will be the, the old-fashioned model of uh, sponsorship in a, in a in going back to uh, the Renaissance kind of sponsorship where you have a patron who pays for your good work. That'll be a model. Foundations are supporting brilliant journalism at the Center for Public Integrity. Uh, yeah, we'll find ways, but will there be uh, lots of messy times in between? You bet. It's going to be really tough. And you know, I love newspapers and I love good journalism. I, this is, I say this with pain because of how much I love what I fear we're losing. But we have to find ways to replace both the journalism and the business model to support good journalism, but not all community journalism is going to have a profit motive. If you, if you ask, what's the, what's the business model for citizen journalism, I'll, I will come back at you and say, I don't know, what's the business model for community theater? And there feels to me like some similarities. People have something they need to say or, or express that they think has value for their neighbors. And there may be some ego involved. God knows there's no ego in the journalism business. <laughs> um, maybe we can find a way through this. But if I was smart enough to know the answer, uh, I'd probably be running a for-profit, not a non-profit. So, up there. Amanda Watlington, I'd like to ask you to connect some dots for me. At the opening, you looked at... Uh, you commented on those few small portion of the population that reads a newspaper, a 
and the majority that takes their news from in sound bites from television. If we see media continue to consolidate, and we talk about citizen journalism, aren't we also in as much as talking about a chattering class that will, in essence, leave behind those who are forced to get their 30-second sound bites? And I beg to disagree with you somewhat about media literacy, um, having lived in the hustings where people do read those magazines and believe everything except perhaps the alien baby stories. It is why they are frequently sued, in my opinion. But could you connect some of those dots? Particularly, I'm concerned about a chattering class and a mid-level commenting class as opposed to, really, democratization of media. Uh, It's a very important question. And... I don't have an answer that will satisfy you, but I'll I'll make a... uh, I'm incurably optimistic about what's possible. And I think we have a chance now that the tools, that the ability to do things are going to be widely diffused into the population. It doesn't solve pretty basic things, including the fact that we're raising a lot of children who get out of high school and still can't read, much less write. I can't fix that. I can just hope that we have a sane national policy about that. Well, but here's my hope, is that people uh, in, in In the 1980s, when desktop publishing came along, the immediate response from that early democratization, uh, the first response was everyone wrote up these things with many different fonts that looked like ransom notes. (laughs) But then people started doing newsletters and publications. And Something happens that the mass media just don't even haven't still don't haven't noticed. There is a vibrant and wonderful ethnic media in the United States serving ethnic communities that it goes completely under the radar of the traditional media, the, the bigger ones, but that is possible only because of that. They, no, that really, it really happened because of the, the desktop publishing revolution. It, I think that's a, it was a fundamental thing. And then people finding their way onto radio and lower, low power radio is beginning to show some of this. When uh, the, the infinite creativity of people to uh, exploit, in the best sense of the word, tools that are provided to them will at some level inspire others. That's, that's my first hope. Secondly, if your neighbor starts to do something cool or someone down the road where before you had to buy a printing press or uh, get the government to give you some, you know, our airways for nothing or some extravagantly high cost of entry thing, 
when suddenly you can just do it. And you see someone else do it and it works. And you may participate even just in a conversation and then realize, well, I can do more than that. This is my hope. I think people who find that they can do things, just they, they start doing them. Not everyone, of course, but the, the, the state of amateur music in this country is actually better than it's ever been. Or not, maybe not ever. Well, no, I think I would say ever because of the availability of, of different kinds of instruments and things people are doing. Kids, my, my big hope is that kids are growing up with these tools that are just a matter of nature for them. They, this, is, this just is. They don't know a world where... They, I mean, I'm still sort of jazzed by the fact that this is possible. You know, kids think, well, what's, what's the big deal? Of course. So I'm... Again, I'm optimistic, and, and I think when people do something and... and Remember that in the end, this is about two important things. One is uh, the the web is is the the elemental unit of the web is the hyperlink, which means you're you're pointing elsewhere, you're looking elsewhere. And the other thing is that this is about collaboration at a basic level. We help, we work with each other, even when it's uh, a blog. If people start commenting, we're collaborating in a sense. So I'm, I'm just wildly and weirdly optimistic that this is going to mean more creativity and more media and more uh, good ideas. And, and I, I say this to everyone who asks, and I, I really believe this. The people who figure this out really figure this out. Certainly not my age and probably not the age of the students in here. Probably they're seven years old, living in Helsinki or Seoul or uh, Sao Paulo or somewhere where it's going to be just embedded in their existence. Just as teenagers in Helsinki figured out that cell phones with text possibilities, that sending text messages was a great communication tool when Nokia thought it was going to be used for something you know like business. So again, I'm I, I'm Pollyannish about it. I just think people are going to use what's available, and it's just becoming more and more available, and to the point that it's not like it, it's it's a, it's going to be available the way a telephone is available. It's just part of our existence. In the back of Okay. Um, I was wondering, one of the things that it seems that print media still has is that uh, it has a lot of resources. And so in other words, investigative resources. There's still a very large sphere of news researchers, investigative reporters. And I'm wondering if you've seen the rise of, say, the citizen investigative reporter, some sort of semi-prayer reporter, or semi-group of people in the community who are just able to have resources to, to do longer stories, or if that hasn't happened yet, if it's a matter of time for, say, Craigslist finds enough advocates and some funding to fund a set of small core citizen reports that use this sort of things, rivaling, say, the Post and Times. Another core question that uh, I was going to talk about next month, but I'll do it now. The investigative journalism takes at least the kind we know, the kind we're used to takes deep pockets uh, or a lot of time. 
and some expertise. Is it possible that citizen journalists will do it? Yes, possible. The kind of thing we're talking that we've been accustomed to as investigators. Um, and right now, the way we're heading is. I'm, I'm afraid that it'll be up to people like foundations to fund projects like the, National, the Center for Public Integrity that has replaced a lot of the great investigative journalism that used to be done by newspapers and television and, and others. Um, not too satisfied with that because I think the communities need watchdogs, local level community. You know, this, this is really important stuff. The function of Journals is, uh, in large part, to keep an eye on people in power and make sure they don't abuse it. So that's, that's the bad news. The good news is there are some kinds of investigations that don't, that don't fall into the category of a great reporter Joe gets assigned for two years to work on one thing uh, with a team of editors and photographers and graphics designers and such. And at the end of two years, there's a 12-part series in the newspaper that they enter in the Pulitzer contest. That, that's, that's how newspapers think of investigating. There are some kinds of investigations where I think the citizens can be intimately involved in the reporting. And they typically will fall into the category of what's something where lots of people can ask maybe one question and then compile the results, aggregate it, and where you've done some serious and cool reporting. Josh Marshall, who writes the weblog uh, Talking Points Memo, I don't know if any of you read it, it's a political kind of left of center blog in Washington. Josh is a fine reporter. he did something that was a, a tip of what I think is going to be an iceberg uh, in size, not in danger, um, <laughs> except to bad people. Uh, he did a uh, thing back when uh, the Republican caucus in the House of Representatives, a year or a year plus ago, passed uh, in uh, a secret vote, they passed what became known as the delay rule, which was that merely being criminally indicted would no longer require that you step down from your leadership post. (laughs) And uh, they actually had a pretty good answer to, to to the howls that came out of that, which was, well, the Democrats still don't have that. Don't, that's the Democratic rule now. Because the Democrats don't have the rule that the Republicans have had, which was, you should step down. So, anyway, Josh put up on his blog, he said, you know, this is kind of outrageous. If you are represented by a Republican, call his or her office and ask politely how he voted, how she voted. And and don't settle for uh, a refusal to answer enough people started calling that answers started coming out. And so Josh and another blog started uh, aggregating the results. And then something else happened, which 
starts to blur the role of what journalism is and what advocacy is and activism is, which was that these staffs in these offices were saying, what the hell? People care about this? Because they were getting all these phone calls. They couldn't figure it out. And in the end, the Republican caucus reversed itself. I would argue because Josh Marshall pioneered something I'm calling distributed journalism and showed us that some things lend themselves perfectly to citizen media in, in a way that we've never really tried before. So I, the one I would like to see done that may or may not happen, I would like to see a... Uh, there, here, there's a story in America right now that simply demands this kind of approach. There's many that do, but this is one in particular. And that's the reconstruction of the Gulf states after Katrina. Uh, even if they only spend, and you know, remember they were going to spend a couple of hundred billion, which they failed to appropriate, and it's probably going to be in the, in the tens of billions. But even if it's only a few tens of billions of dollars, there's no news organization on the planet big enough to cover that story the way it needs to be covered. But if we, at some level, deputize the citizens to do the legwork, do then do some fact-checking as, as media companies, they, they should do this. And then see what the results are. I think there will be two impacts. One is, and then this, this would mean, and this is a sunshine week in, in uh, sort of in the First Amendment sense, this is about you know, our right to know stuff, which increasingly we are losing. Um, if a whole bunch of people start filing freedom of information requests of local governments throughout the Gulf states demanding to know how this money is being spent to make sure it's not going to uh, you know, the certain people and not others or at least looking into what's, how it's going to be spent. I'd argue there are going to be two good results. One is that uh, the journalism that gets done, if we can somehow feed that into good journalism, will be extraordinary. And secondly, you'll have the effect not unlike the one with the delay rule, which, was, which would be that they, they, people who might have been abusing this would notice they're being watched. And maybe they wouldn't abuse it so much. And I can't think of a better outcome than for, for the citizens to get involved in journalism in that way, where they become their own watchdogs in their own communities. And, and that's just one example of something that I think just requires that sort of approach that no one's tried, but someone may. But it, it's, there, there must be hundreds or thousands of stories like that or topics like that where people could be collectively brought into it. So that, that's my hope for not replacing what we're going to be missing, because we're going to miss some good stuff, but to do things we didn't do in the past. Yes? Hi. I'm Jerome Lewis of Emerson College. Uh, I'm doing broadcast uh, journalism, and uh, we, we are being taught how to gather the news in a particular way, verify facts, 
interview witnesses, verify information. If you're saying that that uh, citizen journalism is important in the sense that people should be able to uh, provide information to, 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 to the media, wouldn't that in a sense diminish the, 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 the role of journalism over a period of time if citizens begin to gain a, a popularity that the information that they provide is, is credible because I mean if we are being trained to, to, to gather the facts in a particular way so that people can make an informed judgment about the facts mm -hmm. and on the other hand citizens are able to recreate events, uh, alter facts to suit their own interests and so on. Wouldn't that, after a, a period of time, gain popularity and diminish the, the whole role of, of, of journalists and journalism and what it's supposed to be as a craft? Well, if, if what happens is that citizen journalists do a better job or as good a job as the pros, um, then I'm okay with the outcome no matter what it means for the business and what it, whatever it means for your career, I'm sorry. If we get more good journalism as a result of this and you have to work and, and you have to compete in ways you didn't expect or I do, then uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be okay with that. But the question, I, the other question, the other part of what you're asking is will, will we have simply a flood of unverifiable junk out there that people don't know what is real and what isn't. And uh, that's, a, that's a worry and we have, certainly we have to find good mechanisms for uh, both making sure people understand that they can't automatically believe things. Uh, but there are some mechanisms that are already in place for uh, for uh, not repairing the damage, perhaps, but for, for punishing bad stuff, one of which is defamation law. No one who does a blog is immune from a libel suit. My worry in this sphere is that people, uh, and there have been cases where people have been sued just to shut them up, even though they were telling the truth, because just defending yourself is expensive in a lawsuit. But... I'm going to be, uh, someday soon, a blogger is going to libel someone for real because it will be false and it will be reckless and will lose his house as a result. And you know what? I'm going to lead the cheers when that happens because it will be a lesson that people need to learn. I hope people won't have to learn that. And part of the training thing that I hope to help with is to help people understand that uh, these laws are not for the pros only. They mean th these are about everybody. We have to protect free expression for sure in this new world and from, from abuse by, by the powerful. But we also have to make sure people understand that you can't just tell lies about other people without some consequences. Now, the kind of things where people make it up and it doesn't libel somebody and, and people believe something that's false... Uh, one of the nice things about blogs and other conversational medium is that there's, there's kind of a right of reply in the comments. You can put up in the comment, that's wrong, right below the posting. And if it's someone 
with any kind of integrity who wrote the posting, they'll correct it. And they'll do it in, right in place. Uh, so in, in the, uh, we, we keep getting into things I plan to talk about next month. But, I, what the hell. but the, uh, the opportunity to repair uh, the damage from inadvertently wrong things, where you just made a mistake, is far greater in the online world than it is in the uh, broadcast or print world. Because in the newspaper, you see on page two, three days after the error, you see a correction you know, of a story that you can't remember in the first place. Uh, that's not exactly fixing the damage. Um, whereas if it's online, the correction can write, you know, can just be there so there's no further damage. And if it's done honorably, it's, it's done in a way where uh, you say somewhere either close by or right there that this is, this is corrected. So we can, we can actually, we can do a better job in this new sphere about getting it right. And, I, and how do we persuade people to care about being right? Um, I just think it's I think it's about being about having integrity about being honorable and all of the principles and rules of journalism if, if I had to boil them down to one thing it's be honorable and that in, incorporates a lot of ideas, but I think we can, we, we have a lot of work to do to help people who are going to do these new media to understand that there are, uh, it, it's not an absolute requirement in the sense that we will force you, but I think you'll get, you'll be, you'll have more people wanting to read what you do or listen to what you do. If if you do it in a way that people recognize as having integrity. So, um, but, but back to the, you know, your original question is if, if, if the competition, if it turns out that the amateur competition is as good as the professional stuff, um, which would surprise me in, in a, I mean, a giant sense. But if that turns out to be the case, well, no one guaranteed any of us a living. And uh, I, I, you know, most of us can't get Congress to pass laws that guarantee us a living. So only Hollywood seems to be able to do that. So we have to, we'll just have to adjust. It'll be, if that happens, though, it'll be a lot harder to make sense of everything out there. Cause, uh, and I think this, this whole thing plays to the strengths of traditional media. Again, people don't have time to sort through everything to find what's good. They have lives. They have children to raise. They have... Um, this will be... There will be some retreat to quality and there will be the typical uneven distribution curve of the very popular very popular stuff at the top gets the most readers, but there's the thing that people call the long tail where there will be wonderful things that we can find. Uh, sure. Um, this actually, I'm Allison Sherry. I'm a 
law student here. Um, this actually goes off of right what you just finished with about the too little time. And I'm wondering when you talk about the traditional media not having lower circulation rates and everything, and to a certain extent it is a lack of time, because people don't have the time maybe to sit down and read the New York Times, so they read it online. And I'm wondering to what extent having so much available in terms of citizen journalism means that there's less people available to read it, and how much, if, if you know, if I can read four newspapers or I can read one in depth, I mean, aren't we facing the same problems as the traditional media that people are going to, if you have so much out there, you're going to go for the 30-second sound bites, you're going to go for what you agree with, um, there's going to be a certain balkanization of media, and I'm just wondering how not just having everyone writing is going to solve the problem, but how we can get people to read things they wouldn't necessarily write and wouldn't necessarily agree with. Um, okay, I think there, there are two questions in there that I, in particular, that I want to address. One is this, one of the, at the very end, I think you were touching on the echo chamber question, which is whether we will only, in, in certainly in, in politics in particular, whether we, we will only go read things we expect to confirm our biases and things we will agree with that we feel better. Um, that's a concern, but it's not necessarily going to work out that way for two reasons. First of all, the again, remember that that, that, that important thing about the online world, the hyperlink. The, and I, I like politics. I read right-wing blogs and left-wing blogs and everything and, you know, sites. And one thing that they do, at least the, the ones I like, even the meanest ones on, on whichever side, the nastiest ones, they point at the other side with links in, in, in the sense of, this is utter crap pointer. Well, Hmm, I'd like to read that other crap, thank you, and click and you're there. So that's, a, um, that's different. The fact that you're actually getting, uh, with a very simple process, you can get to the thing they're disagreeing with and read for yourself. That's, that's not been as easy to do before this meeting. The other, so that, that's kind of my, that, that's speculative, but there's some data. The Pew, uh, um, Pew Internet something project did a, did a study after the 2004 election that I, I, there are a million caveats to this, but the indication was that the people who went online for uh, the bulk of their political news, whatever side of the argument they were on. They tended to know more about what the other side believed than people who were not going online. Now I can imagine a number and they were this is hard, these were hard to control for but there, uh, there were a number of possibilities of, of why that would be including the fact that this is an early adopter syndrome and so it would probably be the political junkies doing it in the first place and they would tend to know what everyone thought anyway. But even controlling for that, there were some indications that far from the echo chamber occurring, um, something quite different was going on. We need a lot more research to know, and people are working hard on doing that. So I, I, 
the, my early sense is that it's not what, what we all feared for those two reasons. The, the other one, the other question was like, if everyone's a writer, who's going to be a reader? Um, again, I think people will settle into a few things they just like and trust, but it, what they may settle into is an agglo- a conglomeration of where they pieced it together from people and sources that they generally have some reliance on. It may not be the New York Times, but it may be, you know, the mashed-up thing that they've created themselves, which is fine with me. That's still going to be better than... I mean, no one should read it or one publication and think they're informed. We, we, this is just not... But the other part that is... Um, and, and this is really new in, in the web world in, in a fundamental way. We all have things we care about that are not at the top of the news. And we have an opportunity that is unprecedented to know more about those. And we all, in our lives, have something we want to go deep on. Some topic. That there is no publication that covers it. Uh, no, no print publication. And, and perhaps if, even if there was, we couldn't afford it or find it. But with a few easy moves and a few searches, we can collect uh, incredibly deep journalism and talk and conversation and knowledge about that one thing that we have a particular passion for. Um, I used to play music for a living before I did journalism. And I'm there, there are some things about music that I pay close attention to that are just, you know, I have assembled this, this wonderful resource for on the web. And we all have something like that. So we, can, we, we will still sketch away at the top. We have the opportunity when we are interested in some story in the news to go deeper on that by just a little bit of searching to see what other people are saying about it. And then on the things we have this passion about, we can we can be the best informed human beings in history. So uh, what that leads to, and it will be the what I get into the next time is in, in April, is the uh, I, I think there will be a subset of that group of the people who get a better news report by using these tools. Daily me, daily we, who will say, hmm, still not satisfied. And they're going to be the ones who start to participate uh, beyond perhaps an occasional uh, bulletin board, which is itself a level of participation. But and, And they're the people who are going to you know, go to the next next level. But I'm the confounding part is, is again the only finite resource that human beings truly have, which is their time. And but keep in mind, a lot of what's going on in development is ways of being more efficient. So I hope that helps. Uh, and again, you know, you got to factor everything I say through my 
ridiculous optimism. So <laughs> thank you all for coming, and I hope that we can continue the conversation.